Even Therapeutics is a company that is doing extraordinary things in the world of finding individualized treatments for cancer. What I love about this company is that it's a proper, proper science startup that will significantly impact the way we look at chemo. Laura Toert is CEO and founder. I caught up with her to talk about her journey so far and a new investment opportunity opening up right now. There are some hidden gems of advice for any startup founder here. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Laura Toet, CEO and founder of Vivan Therapeutics, XKQA, and well, just like us, uh, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much, Manish. I'm really happy to speak with you today. You started off your career in the world of neuroscience. Um, how did you make your way into running your own company in cancer therapeutics? Okay, well, uh, that's a bit of a long story, but so I, I started off. We got loads of time. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Um, I ended up doing my PhD in neuroscience um, at Cornell Sloan Kettering in New York City, and I was ended up in a laboratory that, that happened to be at Sloan Kettering, and it was a molecular neuropharmacology lab studying mute opiate receptors um, and their variants. And I got really interested, it was at, at the time of the advent of genomics, uh, the genomics era, and a lot of students were graduating and going on to work at companies like Imclone and all of the kind of new and exciting biotech companies. And I kind of just felt like the action was really there, not in, in my PhD. So I ended up leaving my PhD to start my first company, which is called Cellmatics, and it's a fertility genomics company. And um, worked there for a number of years. The company is still around. Um, but then I got really interested in kind of continuing on the thread of personalized medicine. And I got involved with, uh, with Mount Sinai Medical Center, where the technology that underlies Vivin was developed. And I started working with them, just trying to figure out how to commercialize the technology, how and where. Um, and it's been basically a seven-year path that I've been on now. Um, finally licensed the technology and founded the company here in London. That's, yeah, I'd say my main interest is personalized medicine and genomics. That's a, it's a, I mean, yeah, you've, got, you've gone through a bit of a journey, haven't you? I mean, um, it must have been quite difficult to go from, I mean, I, you see this a lot, right, in, in bias in the bioscience type of sphere, PhD student generally not um entrepreneur material if you like very yeah. very academic how did you find that transition going from phd to thinking you know what i can probably do something by myself so i was one of the kind of academics that went into academia thinking i wanted to go to start a business so i went in with that mindset oh, really? and that's one of the reasons i chose cornell because it was a you know centered in new york city kind of around all of the you know, entrepreneurial action and, and the school itself, I, I ended up founding a club that was a, a biotech investment club. So with students and other um, faculty members, we would actually invest our money into different biotech biopharma com uh, companies using our own expertise and doing the diligence. And so I was always kind of on that path. And then it just wasn't, wasn't happening fast enough for me to graduate. So I ended up leaving. What, what, was, it, what, what was it happening fast enough? My PhD. It was oh. really slow. It was, really oh, slow. Okay. It, was, it was marred by a lot of different challenges. So I ended up leaving. As is the as is the nature of sort of um, this uh, 
PhDs in this field, right? Because they're, they're generally lab-based. I, I have a running joke with my son that, um, you know, he does his chemistry and physics uh, classes and, and he, you know, does, does the write-up on what's supposed to happen. And for me, nothing ever went to plan. In yeah. <laughs> Never. It yeah. worked. And, and that's, that's, why, that's why I like the computing side of things, because one plus one always equals two. And you can, it's just more predictable, I guess, right? Um, so so you, went into, you went into that world knowing that you wanted to start your own business. But what, what was the germ? What was the, uh, what, what was the um, you know, the, the seed of, of, of that ambition? Probably because my, my dad had his own company oh, right. and I, I grew up thinking, well, my dad wanted me to end up taking over his business, um, but I always- What does I he never, do? So he was in automobile and equipment leasing okay. and um, I was, that wasn't my, my thing, but I, I liked the idea of kind of being your own boss, building your own thing, leading it the way you wanted it to, to be led. And then, then I actually took a course at the New York Academy of Sciences called From Idea to IPO. Uh, and it was basically for you know academics and to try to help them make that transition. And as soon as I took that that class, like after the first one, I was like, I want to start a company and I want to IPO. And it was like, <laughs> and I just um, that's still something I haven't done yet. So I'm I'm, I'm still working on it. Well, the uh, you know you, you you keep trying until it happens, right? This is, this is the yeah. thing that is uh, looking through looking through your LinkedIn profile. I was just looking through it um, uh, earlier today, and. If, the, if anything, you've just you've just stuck at things in, until you've made something of them, right? Let's 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 talk about Cellmatics because you you know you said that's still going. Um, what was that company about, and uh, where did you leave it? So I actually started that company. Um, I was a co-founder, and I started it with my roommate from Cornell, mm -hmm. and she ended up graduating with her PhD, went on to do a postdoc at Cambridge, mm -hmm. um, and we chatted on the phone quite often. We I, I kind of gave her the entrepreneurial bug. And we were thinking that we might want to start something together. We had a lot of ideas. We had some stem cell company ideas. We had um, microfluidic chamber ideas. And then we had this idea to um, develop um, a genetics test or a genomics tool to help guide fertility treatment. And that's the one that basically was the, kind of the underlying technology for somatics. And we are very proud of it because we did the first um, whole genome sequencing of idiopathic infertile women. And we did that at Cornell, which at the top at the time was one of the top IVF centers of the world. Um, and we identified you know, clusters and mutations that were underlying female infertility and could help you know, guide different treatments. So we developed a, a test called the Fertilome test um, and then that test wasn't as commercially successful as we, we thought it would be. Um, the company pivoted a bit. We had a lot of very deep data. I think we still might have the largest fertility data set in the world. And so we used that data to identify um, like early stage um, targets and, and develop early stage therapeutics to the targets for, um, for different ovarian diseases. Oh, really interesting. And so that's still going. Is that still being run by your co-founder? Yes, yes. So I was the founding CEO. Um, then I stepped away from the company a bit. I moved um, my family to the Middle East mm. and tried to run the company from there for a few years, but then it became quite difficult with the distance and the company was growing quite quickly. Um, so she took over as CEO and she's been CEO ever since. Fantastic. And going well, I hope. Yeah, yeah, it's going very well. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, always, I always find it quite fascinating, the people that move from either the US or wherever else to Middle East, Asia or, or the UK, 
Um, how do you find the difference in starting a company in the US, just out of interest, uh, versus the UK? Because um, uh, Vivian is is based UK. in the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so how, how, pros and cons, um, what do you think uh, is is the driving factor for you to, to stay here? Um, well, so... When I when I left um, when I left the U.S. and I moved to to Bahrain and I, I actually tried starting a company there. So right. the, so Vivian used to be called My Personal Therapeutics and before it was My Personal Therapeutics UK, it was My Personal Therapeutics Bahrain. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I, I did try it there. So I've got I've got a kind of deep experience and understanding on how to start a company in different uh, different geographies. Um, starting a company in Bahrain is it teaches you a lot of patience. Which, which is a skill that entrepreneurs need wherever you are. Um, and it, there were different reasons why the company did, was it, it wasn't necessarily the right time and place for it. Um, but then I, I had the opportunity to either move back to, to the US, to New York, or I could have the, have the option to move to London. And I chose London just because one, I really like to, to live in different places. Um, so I can't say it was really you know, the, the, the vibrant, London biotech ecosystem that brought mm. me here. I think it was just that I, I wanted to live in London, but I was happily surprised when I moved that I think that the community here is quite supportive. Um, these fast, wonderful um, accelerator programs like KQ Labs. Um, and then you have Genomics England, which is a great resource and one that we're using, um, we're using um, at really at, at our core mm -hmm. of, of building our digital therapeutic. Yeah, interesting. And do you not feel that um, one of the things that a lot of people say, especially the um, American originating uh, type of companies, is that the investment um, scene is perhaps not as liquid or vibrant as it is in the US? Although on the flip side, there is a lot of uh, there's, there's a lot of pros for being a startup in the UK because you get things like RD tax credits and yeah. all that jazz. Um, how do you uh, how do you feel about that? Do you, would you if you were to do it again, would you start in the US or would you have done it again in London? Um, well, when I when I went to raise money for Cellmatics in New York, it was really easy, and we had basically an idea on a napkin, and <laughs> and I mean a little bit more than that, but. It was, you know, very early stages. It was, it was a theory. It was a hypothesis, and we had a, you know, a very clear way in which we thought we can, we can, um, you know, get some some early data and prove that hypothesis. And and, but it was when I was raising funds for for Viven and my personal therapeutics here, you know, it was much more than that. We had we have a working technology. Um, already had a clinical trial done in New York. We have, you know, ability to to be commercial and generate revenue immediately. We have, you know. Uh, a tool for pharma, um, pharma and oncologists. So you have, it's, it's, it's a really existing, vibrant company. And mm -hmm. I found it really difficult um, with conversations to have with investors here because investors really are focused on revenue generation and not necessarily investing in, in you know, building the, the kind of underlying uh, data facility of, of, the, of the platform. Um, so I felt like that's, there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, hesitancy for investors here to invest in things that, you know, are more on the idea phase or more mm -hmm. on the, um, where they can make an, an impact of, you know, with a, with a kind of an earlier stage investment. I think here they want everything de-risked. They want it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's a good assessment. I think, I think more so as you go more East from the US, it seems to get more risk averse, right? So, yeah. um, 
in the US, it seems that, yeah, like you, like, like you did the first time around, an idea tends to get invested. Uh, here is a bit of middle ground, a little bit of de-risking, maybe not as much um, focus on the long-term vision. We want to see what's happening immediately kind of thing. Uh, and then if you go to Europe, it's actually even harder, right? I was talking to a few uh, German colleagues last week, and they found it very hard to find even 250, 500,000 pounds, 500,000 uh, euros even to, to get their companies off the ground. So, um, I mean, investors are a funny bunch, aren't they, I guess, but you are actually going through uh, an investment round right now. But before we go to that, let's talk about Vivin. Um, uh, used to be my personal therapeutics when, when we were at KQ Labs together. Uh, first of all, what, why did you change names? Is there a reason? So, so when we were at KQ Labs, when we had we started my personal therapeutics, we had licensed the technology um, exclusively and in partnership with Mount Sinai Medical Center. And so there are two uses for the for the for the platform. One is to be able to screen approved drugs, um, to be able to to find right the right combinations for patients with cancer and treat them, and then use all of the data that you generate to build a predictive model so that you could be able to treat patients um, more more rapidly. Um, we since since we licensed the original platform, we went back to Mount Sinai and we added the, the additional license use of being able to use a platform to screen um, to do to do drug discovery to screen um, compound libraries investigational drugs so we can partner with pharma and do our own drug discovery. So when we started having early conversations with pharma, they said, "Oh, my personal therapeutics. It sounds a little bit too consumer genomicsy." And it's going to be a turnoff. Like pharma is not going to necessarily want to have a press release that says, "Oh, like AstraZeneca is working with my personal therapeutics." It sounds like a bit like you're circumventing the oncologist, and they didn't want to appear that way. So we went back to the kind of thinking about, um, you know, what what's a proper name for a company with this, and and we didn't want to focus too much on on cancer because the platform could also be used for any genetic disease, and we're using it for rare genetic disease therapeutics discovery as well. So we thought, okay, Viva, like to live. And then the thing that really differentiates us is we have an in vivo model. So we work with the fruit fly. And so we all, we do all of the drug screening, recapitulate the disease, uh, or if it's a tumor or a rare genetic disease in the fruit fly. And then we do high throughput screening. So the two main differentiators is that it's in vivo and kind of the large N, the large, like that were unlimited by number of animals. And so it's like Viva to the power of N. So Viva. Nice. Uh, I like that. I like I like uh, stories behind names like this. So, by the way, when you explain this kind of stuff, it, it blows my mind away because I, I just think you make me feel stupid. Um, yes. So basically, <laughs> basically, you you insert certain elements of the gene, human genome into fruit flies, I think. And then you treat the flies with the cancer treatment, and see who, and see which flies uh, survive and which don't, and therefore you'll be able to tell what drugs will work. Is that is that basically? Yeah, basically. So yeah, I guess we didn't. I didn't explain the full the full platform. So yeah. for for a cancer patient, they would go to their oncologist. Um, yeah. They would have um, a tumor biopsy and also a blood sample taken. If they would do whole exome sequencing. And then that's really where our process begins. So we, we have our own proprietary method of you know, reading the tumor exome, identifying the mutations that are leading tumor genesis. And then because we're using a unique model, the fruit fly, um, and there's a lot of kind of cool genetic tricks in, in which you could insert 
up to 20 mutations or alterations in the fly at one time, turn them all on um, to really recreate the, the complexity of the tumor. So, the, and then, so we, we also, we, we target the, the construct that has all of the mutations to the tissue of the fly that corresponds to where the human has the tumor. So we focus on uh, GI cancers now because the GI system of the fly is um, you know, very much conserved to humans. And so for, for example, colorectal cancer or bowel cancer, we can have the, the tumor grow in the lowermost portion of the fly gut. So we turn it on and, and we can do this. And for patients, we usually do half a million flies uh, for each patient. And then we take that kind of army of flies and we screen all approved drugs with using robotics and high throughput drug screening. We screen all approved drugs, about 2000 drugs alone and in combination. And then we see all of the flies will have a tumor that's lethal and it'll be, the flies will die within a designated period of time, like usually like five days to six mm -hmm. days. So we only the flies that are getting the right drug cocktail will survive. And so then we, we um, take those, we, we rank them based on kind of the rescue, the percent rescue. Um, and then we share that information with the oncologist and the patient's tumor board. And then they ultimately decide what's the right cocktail for their patient. So it's, it's amazing. Uh, how do you deliver the drug cocktail to the flies themselves? Because I'm guessing you're not going to be ha you have this tiny little injection for 500,000 yeah. flies <laughs> injecting drugs into each one. Yeah. I'm guessing it's not like that. So we, we, we put the, the drugs in the fly food. So it's an oral administration, okay. um, which limits us a, a little bit. So we don't really work with biologics, which we could, but not that's taking away one of our main advantages is which we can do high throughput screening. So right. we, we wouldn't be able to do in a high throughput way because the injections just wouldn't yeah. um, make it easy for that. But so we focus now on, on like where our strengths are. So it's oral administration. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm guessing there's not a whole lot of competitors out there using Tosophila as a, as a There's really not. I'd say, so there are, there's a lot of academic um you know, groups doing drug discovery and development mm. using flies, um, not so much commercially. And we have, uh, Mount Sinai had originally filed the patent on creating these personalized fruit fly avatars for cancer. Okay. And then I, building upon that. Right. So, I mean, uh, yeah, so I, I don't think there's, um, uh, well, no, actually, it's like, like I take a step back. I think a lot of the problems in, in um, this kind of area is that we take away the complexity of the biological system and and then try to do everything kind of in vitro and that takes so what because you've taken away the complexity actually you've probably made the job a little bit harder um whereas what you're saying is well we can put this inside a living system it has much of the same complexity as uh, as a human um obviously not completely but you're putting it inside that system and therefore you have a higher chance of getting the right cocktail and getting it right that's right. And I think, well, we know that single target chemotherapy isn't necessarily working very well. And, and you can cure mice easily with it because you, mm -hmm. you have a mouse that's, let's say you have one mutation expressed and then you find the drug that, you know, um, rescues the mouse from, you know, from its cancer. But it, it, that doesn't work in humans because we know that cancer is so complex and there's multiple mutations driving it at one time. So we really want to try. I mean, there's limitations of every model. But with our model, one limitation is not the complexity. So we were able to really make a complex tumor. Um, depending on the tumor type, um, the flies are pretty good represent representatives of um, you know, what's happening in humans. There's only a few mutations that we see that we can't really model on the fly well. 
but usually it's, it's a pretty true system. Okay. Um, is there, um, is there, do, do you find that the, you come to pharmaceutical, so if you, if you were going to a pharmaceutical company and say, this is what we do, um, do you find that they are, that, that, if, that it, this, this is so far beyond what they'd ordinarily do, uh, that it's difficult for them to kind of take that in? That's a good question. So, so we, we, we just really licensed the, the, the technology to be able to do drug discovery um, last January. Mm -hmm. So we have you know, less than a year experience talking with pharma about this. Um, we've been lucky that some of the pharma we've spoken to, there happen to be people that have done Drosophila work at some point in their life. So, so they, and that's great. As soon as we hear that, we're like, okay, this, this is you know, <laughs> match made in heaven. Um, but so we haven't really had a lot of pushback on the translatability. Um, and when we do, we have a lot of good, strong evidence. Um, for example, um, when Mount Sinai was, was using the technology exclusively, um, they worked with AstraZeneca to identify the standard, which now is the standard of care today for metallary thyroid carcinoma. Um, and so when we show, you know, also that Mount Sinai has a long history of working with pharma to kind of tweak drugs and improve their efficacy profile, reduce the toxicity profile um, using the platform. So we have a lot of long history of, of success using the, the platform, um, as have have as have had other groups. Sorry, it's a Monday morning and I'm, <laughs> I need my second coffee. Um, yeah, so we know that there is, um, you know, the, the flies are really good models for this. I think there is still a bit of convincing that we need to do, but I think it's just once once we we share all of the data, farmers usually pretty enthusiastic about it. I mean, I wouldn't say that every farmer we've spoken to has signed up, but a lot of it, a lot of the reasons we hear is not because of the platform um, or any kind of negatives with the platform. It's really either one, they've allocated all of their budget for this year and they're working with, you know, organoids or other models that so far they're happy with. Um, but yeah, we're still working to find, you know, the right partner for us at this point, but we, we've actually just done, did something kind of exciting. So we've done our own internal drug discovery. Um, basically what we've done is take um, the, the, the KRAS G12 mutants, um, and we've taken the human forms, we put them in flies, and we've screened all of the new inhibitors, like the Marathi inhibitor, the Amgen inhibitor, Novartis, and we've demonstrated that all of those inhibitors are working in flies, just as you would expect them to work in humans. Just oh, as that's, working. Yeah. that's a great Good. finding, yeah. Okay, yes. so that just supports, supports the idea data. that what you're doing, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you're. Uh, if this is an answerable question, but whether, whether you're too far away from the patient in terms of uh, the, the the journey of your technology. But have you seen your tech actually translate into uh, a, a successful sort of selection of a, a drug for a patient? Could you tell a story? Yes. So so Mount Sinai did a clinical trial. They started in 2015. It's still ongoing. Um, we had three patients that were, had very successful um, outcome using the technology. Two are published in case studies. Um, and in our hands at Viven, we've just found what well, we, we think we've just come up with treatment recommendations for three patients. Mm -hmm. The first patient that we did, the patient had no other treatment options. And we found 17 novel combinations that you would have never expected. 
um, all with a rescue effect, a strong rescue effect, and three that had a, like an extremely strong rescue effect. Um, we shared it with this patient um, and their oncologist, and they're like just blown away by by it because can, you could imagine being in the in the position of the patient and the oncologist where you mm. you have nothing to suggest, you have nothing to take. Um, this was a win, so we were that's, really excited. So, yeah. so, so that's amazing, and, and that, that that you're helping patients so directly is it's really great. So, um, Vivin is currently raising money. Uh, tell us a little bit about your round and what you expect to do so with raising, the money once you do it. Sure. So, uh, so we are raising our Series A. We're looking to raise around seven million pounds. The main um, use of the funds would be to um, expand our laboratory facility. So right now the laboratory is kind of maxed out. We have a waiting list and we're turning away patients um, and projects. So like potential new, new areas we can go into, everything is put on hold. So what we'd like to do is build another laboratory and have one laboratory that focuses on pharma and discovery and one lab that focuses on patients, um, oncology. And the other, Kind of use of the funds would be to help us scale the team um, mainly on the business side and also on well I guess also on the science side but we, we need a strong executive team right now it's really just me um, and I've taken it maybe as far as I can on my own then we we're also we've been developing um, a digital therapeutic for colorectal cancer and we've been we, we've actually built on about 10 million US dollars that um, that the NIH had invested into the technology when it was at Mount Sinai, and they seeded a colorectal cancer uh, data set. And we've continued on to build upon that, and we're almost there. So we, we almost have enough of the um, co most common mutational profiles built in avatars, fruit fly avatars, and screened. And so now an incoming patient that we just need their whole exome sequence information, and they can go straight from that to a treatment recommendation. And so we're already seeing that for some patients, we, we can go straight to a recommendation. And so we've started to engage with uh, regulators and we'd like to have that tool um, validated as an in vitro diagnostic in UK and Europe and as a laboratory developed test in the United States. So these funds would also help us get through that regulatory process. Amazing, amazing. So how, how far are you down that funding route? Or did you just start your round, I think, or was it? Was we it started around September 1st. Yeah. Um, we, we have about 3 million pounds committed. So we've got about 4 million to go. We're looking for a lead. So a lot of the investors, because our, our technology and, and the company is, is a bit unique because we're, we're a lab-based company as well as a, as a digital company. So there's, there'll always be some lab-based component, but it's not a component that um, is, is very like asset heavy. It's something that you know, we use we use the flies to develop the data, um, mm. the data sets, and then we use predictive modeling and kind of AI, deep learning um, to develop our digital tools. And so we have, as I said, our digital tool for colorectal cancer about to, to be ready to, to hit the market. Um, and it'll be followed by GI cancer, then lung cancer. So the flies are kind of a mean to an end. So right, so oh, do, actually, do you, that's a good question. So do you see you, you using Drosophila right now to, to do your experimentation, do you see that as a, as a stepping stone such that when you, you know, years down the line, you have this digital platform where you, you don't even need to experiment anymore? Yeah, so there'll always be about 20% of the population that won't be matched by, by a predictive test, right? Because there'll be outliers. 
So we'll have, I mean, there'll be less and less outliers, but there's a lot, when you, when you look at the mutation profile of the population, there's a long tail mm. of like just ones. <laughs> like right. people. Okay. Um, and so there'll always be some people that need to have an avatar built and screened. But what we're doing to kind of speed that up is taking all of the most common mutation, um, mutational pairs and just building flies that have them. Then if a patient came in, we can just quickly cross the flies and have kind of their personalized fly. Um, and then for, we're using the flies now increasingly for rare genetic diseases, and we can also use it for longevity. We're about to announce an exciting collaboration in the UK on that. So they'll always be, in my opinion, or for a long time, for the foreseeable future, they'll be, we'll be using the flies, but for each disease state, there'll only be a, a, a certain amount of time where the fly is at the forefront. Okay, well, good luck. Good luck with this round. Uh, for the listeners who are investors, we'll put some information in the um, podcast description where you can have a look at um, uh, Vivian and uh, hopefully get in touch with you directly. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I mean, when I talk to people like you, one of the things that really sort of um, inspire me is the fact that you work so incredibly hard to get to where you are you've been doing this what was it seven years was it um from from inception um it's a long 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 game right and you kind of have to have like you were saying you have to have a lot of patience uh, a lot of resilience um you have to take some punches on the face now and again yeah. um <laughs> and just get up and ask for more um how do you balance because i know i know you have a young family as well how, how do you balance work and life because I find myself working really long hours right yeah um, it's really difficult to dedicate time to family when when you're at this particular stage how, how do you find that balance what do you do um well so I have three three children so I, I really got I, your hands full <laughs> I, got my hands full. I, I really try to I, I'd say like the more things that I have to do the more productive I am so I'm not one of these like hyper scheduled people where I have every five minutes scheduled, but I, I, I work very well with a plan and I have lists all over the place. Uh, my children actually help me make the list. Sometimes I call out, really? I'll just put this down for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, I, I find it's, it's, I find the kind of the joy in kind of the, the hustle and the bustle. I don't like when things are slow. I like like a fast life, um, but I do take time, a lot of time with the kids, but I just, you know, how I have some, somehow I have that balance. What but do it you, is but, but when you're not in front of your laptop or inside the lab talking to your team, um, what do you do outside of work? I really like to cook. Um, I like cooking. I like dancing. I, I used to like, you know, I like house music. I used to like going you know, out at night and dancing. Now I you know, do living room dances. Dance <laughs> <music>. <laughs> I can no longer do so yet. Yeah. yeah, just like taking taking a bit. Um, my children are all into sports, so I'm always kind of either playing with them, taking them to sports, kind of running oh, around, nice. literally literally running sometimes from here to there. Do you play sport yourself? No, I don't play sports. I ski, so I guess that is a sport. Yeah. I haven't been skiing in a while because of, because of COVID, but we have a big ski trip planned to Verbier this year. Oh, um, nice. Super excited. I've been micromanaging that, uh, that trip and just... I, I planned the same trip last year and then it got cancelled. So I'm just planning it again and in, enjoying the kind of the planning process. Oh, well, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to make it this time around. Um, just, just on a following point, um, 
with that work-life balance? I mean, how, how do you keep yourself sane in all of that? You have three kids, for God's sake, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're doing a funding round. Yeah. Yeah, I, just, I just did a seed round last year, and um, I've got to say, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. It getting, is really getting hard. It. It's hard. There's a lot of rejection. And I'd say sometimes, like some, some days you just need a win, like you just need some positive thing, then, and then you don't get it, you, you get a, a rejection. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the reason for the rejection is, there, you know, rejection is, is a rejection. There's only so much you can, you can take in a day. Yeah. Um, but I know I live for like the little wins, like the little positive things, like you know, anything little, I, I try to really celebrate and, and try to give that to myself. Like, you know, you didn't get that, but you got this and that's, you know, that's going to be good enough. Yeah. So you're like a glass half full type of attitude to, to your day. <laughs> yeah, you try, you try to, I mean, it does get hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'd say, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, my kids come home and I'm thinking like, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to like get, like either go pick one up here or one up there and get dinner, get them dressed, get, how am I going to do it? But then you see their faces and it, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but then they just make me laugh and, and they'll make fun of me and I'll make fun of them. And then you realize not to take things so seriously. No, that's That perspective is so important. You have yeah. to have that perspective, right? It's, it's good. That's good. Okay. So we're towards the end of our time on this podcast. Um, at the end of every cast, we have a, uh, a set of quick fire questions. These are questions you haven't seen before. Um, one word answers or one sentence answers, if you can. Okay. <laughs> now I'm scared. <laughs> Just a bit of fun. So here we go. If there's one book you could advise a startup founder to read, what would it be? Oh, I really got to think about uh, To be honest, I don't read a lot of those, a lot of those kind of, Startup ebooks. Okay, say say a podcast. Got a book here. I've got "Love Is the Killer App." Um, so I read that. <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're self-taught, pretty much self-taught in everything that you do. <laughs> um, okay, next question. If you could start Vivan again, would you have opted to go in with a co-founder? No. Oh, interesting. Why? So um, I've had co-founders before and I it, it, I would love to have the perfect co-founder, but you don't always get the perfect co-founder. So if you had the perfect co-founder, what would be the killer, the killer characteristic? Um, I need someone that works as hard as I do. Because I think it's, it's difficult and it's, it's hard to find someone that, that has that the same tenacity. Good answer. This time next year, Vivan is doing amazingly well, and you have the opportunity to sell the company to a competitor, though not at the valuation you think you could get in, say, five years' time. What do you do? I would not sell it yet. The worlds of politics and science seem to mix badly, especially in your... <laughs> home country of the US. <laughs> what do you think is the one thing the administration could or should do to detox the situation? The current administration? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'd say it's everything is so highly politicized in the US right now. So 
I don't know. I honestly don't know how they could diffuse it. I think it, to try to disentangle politics from science, if, if there was a way. Okay. What's better, rugby or American football? Oh, Jesus. I don't like, I don't really love either of them. <laughs> <laughs> I say European football. <laughs> Which sci-fi movie character do you identify with the most? Oh man! Oh, sci-fi. I don't watch a lot of sci-fi. I oh, maybe. Um, okay, which what 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 themes? What uh, genres are you? Well, what's um Halisi? Oh, oh, the, oh, from uh, <laughs> from uh, uh, what was it called again? Um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. like her. Okay. Okay. Yeah, she's a good one. She's a good one. Um, in twenty years' time. Your one of your children turns around to you and says, Mom, I want to start a company. What is your advice to them? Well, I'd say I've been waiting for this day for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I promise my parents I'm not going to start any more companies. <laughs> but what would be what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them to to, um, to see them on their merry way? Make sure they have good, really good support systems. Make sure they choose their investors correctly, um, especially the early stage investors, because they're with you and can help you sh like shape and make, you know make or break your journey. Mm. So I say like surround yourself by really good support and investors. Great answers, Laura. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. This is fun. Thanks for listening to Startup Talk Up. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast please hit the ratings button from wherever you got it, which will really help us to grow our audience. If you're feeling generous, please also check out the links in the description and donate to the charities that we are currently supporting. Thanks once again, and see you next time.